Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Um, so as some of you heard a couple weeks ago, one of the goals, the learning goals for this sermon series is to um, grow your confidence in reading the Bible and being able to approach the Bible, even if you don't have a seminary degree, even if you didn't grow up in church, we want to grow your confidence in engaging this very sacred text, because if we can't engage the sacred text, then we're just leaving interpretation up for someone else. And I don't know if I trust someone else nowadays in this day and age. So it's, it's helpful to be able to read the Bible yourself and uh, to see how God can interact with you as we read the Bible. And so we've been developing skills, right? And so uh, you might recall that we uh, talked about a skill called character empathy, which is like reading through these characters and then saying like, how do I relate to this character? We talked about the midwives. How do I relate to midwives? And that's a skill. Uh, anyone who uh, can read can read the Bible and start to empathize with characters. Uh, we also talked about um, assuming God's goodness uh, and asking the question, what is this saying about God? And, and so like sometimes uh, there will be texts that are troubling or raise questions like, well, why did God do that in this story? And uh, this skill is like, let's start with assuming that God is love and liberation and uh, seeks the, uh, the goodness for all of creation and work backwards from there. <laughs> like, if that's true about God, then what else, what, what cascading impacts does that have on the rest of the, uh, on the reading? And that's a skill that, um, it, it's an it's a act of faith to employ this skill. Like, I don't know if any English majors are out there. Like, usually when you're, you're reading just plain literature, you don't start assuming that one of the characters is all good and all knowing and all creation. But like, that's how uh, Christians approach the Bible. Uh, we talked about a skill uh, called reading spatially, spatially, and, uh, and thinking about how, what is being communicated by the physicality of the space. So did y'all notice like, talk to Pharaoh when he's at the water. Okay, so like that is communicating something because previously in Exodus, the Nile River was the symbol of a Pharaoh's oppression to the Hebrew people because he would drown babies in that river. So like the, the spatial reading of it is another skill that you can use as you're reading through the Bible. And today... We have, we're kind of like, yeah, we can get a dual drum roll. We, we're kind of like upping our game a little bit. We're not just doing like our plain, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're not just uh, doing plain. Our, our next level skill is called da-da-da-da, reading structurally. Okay, what could this mean? Um, and, and asking the question, why are they telling the story the way that they are? Why are they telling the story the way that they are? This is a structural reading. This is a little bit next level. So like y'all, we're getting into it. We're learning skills. We're not just like uh, uh, assuming that uh, the Bible can be read in like five verse chunks. Like we're starting to look at the Bible as a, as a body of literature 
And this is um, deeply related but different from form criticism, if any of you are seminarians. Um, so like form criticism, we're going to get to it later. Don't worry about it. But if you want to read ahead, feel free to Google like form criticism, documentary hypothesis, that kind of stuff. We're not going to uh, get into that today, but just know like <laughs> it's coming. So um, <laughs> if you start reading Exodus, something that you are for sure going to notice is how much repetition there is. There's a lot of repetition in Exodus. A lot of like the exact same words, it feels like, uh, being copy and pasted uh, uh, into different paragraphs. And uh, a structural reading of scripture is trying to ask the question, like, is this just lazy editing? Or is this like actually trying to communicate something? You know, when I wrote a, a book, Staying Awake, the Gospel for Changemakers, um, uh, uh, my editor would, would, came, uh, would send manuscripts back just dripping in red ink. And uh, it would be like, you already said this and you said it better the first time, so just cut this, right? And so like, uh, is, it, is it that the Bible just didn't have a good copy editor? Uh, or is it that like, there's something to be communicated through the repetition when something kind of is presented again and again. Uh, is, it, is there value in the repetition perhaps for uh, an audience who was illiterate and would only be hearing this orally? Like, is there something to be said about like the way that this story is repetitively being told? Um, uh, and, and I just want to name that like for modern readers, a lot of times the reason why we can't read the Bible or why we tune out in the Bible is because of the repetition. Like for folks who are like on TikTok and, and are like, I need something new and stimulating every seven seconds. Uh, the Bible is not offering, the Bible is not serving TikTok. Okay. Like the Bible is serving like a totally different way of relating to story. And it has a lot of repetition. And a lot of times when we, look at the repetition, it's like, okay, skip, 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 skip. Oh, good, now here's another story that I like. So, you know, like, it's, it's easy to kind of create flyover zones in the Bible because of how much repetition it is. But my challenge for you is considering that even in the repetition, God might be speaking, that even in the patterns, there might be a, a Holy Spirit uh, message for you and even as you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, wow, we're saying this again? Uh, that, that God might be trying to tell you something about yourself. Like, like you're noticing patterns in the text and maybe God is trying to tell you something about the patterns in your life. And when we attend to the scripture, uh, knowing that there's power in the repetition, then uh, we can start to unlock some of that knowledge or insight. The, the things that will get you out of the patterns, maybe the destructive patterns that you have found yourself in in your life. And a really approachable uh, way to start thinking about repetition is through da -da -da -da, plagues. Uh, yay! Plagues, plagues, plagues. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, uh, as we say, for those of you joining outside of Minnesota, you'll hear us say plagues. Oh gosh, you guys, you, you, did you read about the plagues over at the lake and in, uh, in the Bible? New England's like, do you mean plagues? <laughs> no one says that. So, uh, that's, uh, uh so, 
so we got some plagues. We got uh, nine of them or 10 of them, depending on how you're counting. And uh, uh, in the, the Bible, we see kind of this repetition that is exactly what we heard, copy and pasted, like seemingly 10 times. And it's like, wait, so <laughs> why did we just, I just read this, so why did we, do, why are we going over this again? And uh, each time there's kind of like a different affliction. And so like there's blood and then there's a, a, a plague of frogs, which like um, I think are very cute, but apparently are like devastating. And then there's a, a plague of gnats or lice, depending on how you uh, interpret it trigger warning to school teachers and school workers, like lice, I know, uh, it's a plague indeed. Uh, flies, uh, livestock dying, and then there's like hail that comes with thunder, locusts, um, uh, boils and pimples and uh, skin uh, problems, darkness, just total darkness, and then lastly, the Passover, which we'll talk about at Easter. But there, there is this kind of repetition of these images that's told in a, in a way that we don't really tell stories uh, in, in the books that we're currently reading. And so as we're looking at these plagues, we see a pattern where God says, you know, gives a script to Aaron or Moses, the folks that God called, uh, creates a clear ask and de decides a clear, names a clear consequence, which by the way, is an important relationship skill. And if you uh, are struggling with boundaries with some folks, just naming like, these are my needs in this situation and this will happen if, if that doesn't happen. No, no manipulation, just naming this is how it's going to go down. Uh, if you say, if you use that word against me, then I'm going to leave the Thanksgiving dinner. Like I'm just, <laughs> like these are just clear asks and consequences. And then uh, the consequence happens and sometimes some of the stories, Pharaoh's religious uh, leaders contest it. Like we, in the reading today, Moses and Aaron were like, this uh, water is now blood. And we heard that there were some religious experts that worked for Pharaoh that were able to recreate it. Sometimes that happens. Uh, Pharaoh responds, but always disappointingly, like, yes, you can do it. Oops, I changed my mind. No, you can't do it. Uh, only the men can go and worship God, but not everyone else. Like Pharaoh somehow always falls short. And then there is like a heavying or hardening or stubborning of the heart. Um, in, in the Hebrew, it talks about Pharaoh's heart becoming heavy, but not like, oh, I have a heavy heart, like sentimental, but heavy like iron, heavy like metal, heavy like the stone of a pyramid, heavy like I'm just not going to budge in this. So this is uh, some repetition in uh, the Bible. And when, when you're uh, reading the Bible, the benefit of reading the Bible at home is that you get to see more text laid out in front of you. And so if you come to church and you hear us read like one little bit at a time, this, uh, you, you lose the ability to read structurally because we're not engaging enough of the text at a time. But if you read the Bible at home, you can read chapters 7 through 10 and start to notice some patterns in the repetition. Because the like one of the storytelling conventions is like the repetition is there, so whenever a variation of the repetition happens, they're trying to make something stick out to you. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, trying to make something stick out to you. This is actually used in a lot of uh, children's stories as well. Like, um, I was reading my niece's uh, story, and it was like, the first maiden walked up to the fox, 
and said, uh, and the fox said, give me an egg. And she said, no, I don't want to give you an egg. And she left. And the second maiden, maid, maiden, went, <laughs> maiden went up to a fox and he said, give me an egg. She said, no, I don't want that. And she left. And the third one, uh, the fox said, give me an egg. And she said, uh, here's an egg. And that's how it gets you. You know, it's like, okay, something's happening. There's a pattern that's being broken. Now we have to pay attention to this. And so that's kind of like what we're trying to, to do as we're reading through repetition in the Bible. Like, what is the difference that is being introduced in the, the um, repetition? And when you start doing that, you start to be able to do some really cool things. So, for example, um, one scholar observed that uh, three of the plagues have to do with water, three of the plagues have to do with land, and three of them have to do with heavens, and they move from down to up. So it's, okay, so interesting, right? So it's like, in the repetition, they're trying to show you God is God not only of water, which is the economic, you know, life-giving thing for uh, the basis for a whole society, but also land, including livestock economy, and also heavens, like, like the weather and whether or not there's sunlight. And so God through these plagues is trying to demonstrate like, I'm not just the creator of one particular thing. I'm the creator of all things and all things are under my control. And therefore Pharaoh who pretends to be in control of these people is actually completely wrong because I'm demonstrating that I'm, you know, like this is, that's a interpretation or a read that is harder to see if you just look at one little bit. But when you start looking at the body of the repetition, it's like, whoa, God is like a little bit flexing in this story. Like God is like, I'm letting you know that the totality of all things are, uh, are things that God has say over, which is kind of a big deal for us as people of faith. Because if you're facing a stress in your life, if you're feeling like you're hopeless, or if you're feeling like there's something really uh, pressing or wrong or uh, anxiety-inducing in your life, sometimes it's helpful to remember that God is underneath your feet and God is above your head in the sky, that God is everywhere you look uh, on the horizon, that there is no place you can be where God is not. There is no place you can be where God's blessing and love and power is not there and available to support you. There is nowhere that God can, that you can be that God is not. And this tells us that. We get that from this part, you know? We also see, uh, by the way, a, a clear kind of like uh, replication of the patterns in the beginning of Genesis when God made all things. Okay, so now we're getting like, yeah, it's, it's just so uh, wild to be thinking about. Okay, you know, it's like God being like the breath of my breath creates all things. And so my breath is going to save these oppressed people. Like, oh, oh, okay. But, um, but the benefit of being able to read like this is that it's not just one interpretation, but that there's layers of interpretation. Something you'll find in the Bible, especially in the, um, in the Old Testament, is that one thing doesn't just symbolize one image. It's it, that there's like stacks to it. There's layers to it. So the Nile uh, uh, represents like Pharaoh's oppression, but it doesn't only represent Pharaoh's oppression. And, and we start to learn this through, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's not a Western storytelling uh, method at all. And so, uh, so if we look at these same plagues and divide them differently, we start to notice that uh, the first five plagues talk about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, Pharaoh being stubborn, and the second five plagues 
talk about Pharaoh's heart being hardened by God. The first five plagues are Pharaoh saying, I'm not going to let your people go, even though you just showed me something amazing. Uh, But the second five plagues talk about uh, uh, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And that brings up some really interesting questions. Like, did God make Pharaoh, like, did God make Pharaoh do the oppressive thing so that God could flex? Because isn't that like what toxic masculinity does? Like, what does that mean if God was like, I'm going to make your heart stubborn? Uh, and, And it kind of like, raises a question, but when we look at the plagues in this order, it starts to show a pattern of how the Pharaoh had five chances to change things. You know, the Pharaoh had agency in the situation, and the second five plagues show God kind of seeing this through. Like, if you're going to be stubborn, let's just see how this goes for you. This is an important interpretation for... um, for folks who care about ending uh, white supremacy, for folks who care about opposing racism, because the argument isn't simply that white supremacy is wrong. The argument is that white supremacy is bad for all of creation, including white people. That like the destruction of everything comes out of supremacist thinking, and like white people should be as passionate about opposing white supremacy as people of color, because it mean, it marks the end of us all. That's kind of the whole like collective liberation thing, right? Um, and so, and so like as an example uh, in, in this text, um, when I was growing up, uh, across the street, there was my best friend named Blake. And, uh, you know, my family uh, didn't really have the money to, like, afford video games or, like, N64s or anything like that. Um, But Blake had an N64. And if any of you grew up without video games and had a friend who had video games, suddenly I found myself at Blake's house a lot. Uh, Suddenly I just had a lot of interest in in befriending Blake, or at least, like, getting into his house so I could play N64. And, uh, and, and there was one game in particular that I loved called Super Smash Brothers. Anyone? N64. Also, just like, look at the graphics. Okay. Uh, uh, so, so the premise of Super Smash Brothers, for those of you who don't know, is that you play, you pick a character, and then uh, the person you're playing with picks a different character, and then you just like fight each other until uh, you're out of lives. That's kind of the whole premise of this Super Smash Brothers. I was really into Super Smash Brothers, really loving Super Smash Brothers, so much so that every time I came over, knock knock knock, hey Blake, can we play Super Smash Brothers? Knock knock knock. Hey, Blake, can we play Super Smash Brothers? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, Blake, can we play Super Smash Brothers? And uh, eventually, Blake started slowly asking, like, could we, you know, there are other games. Uh, If you ever want to, we could play Tony Hawk. Anyone? Throwback. We could play um, Kirby. And and so um, he was like, I kind of of am all Super Smash Brothered out. And I was like, no, 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 I really... This is like my thing. Like I am like laser focused. Like Blake, you're my one ticket to this place, and I need to get there. So, uh, so Super Smash Brothers, repetition, repetition. I keep asking him for this. Uh, and then one day, Blake, uh, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Blake, can we play Super Smash Brothers without talking? Blake brings me to his room, powers up the N64, puts in Super Smash Brothers, and plays. He says pick any character you want. So I pick uh, Pikachu, of course. <laughs> uh, duh. And, uh, and Blake 
continues to play uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, 12 games with me where he plays as every character and beats me with every <laughs> character into the ground. 12 games in succession where he just drives me into the ground. And I think the message was pretty clear for Kit Tyler, like, if you're going to live into this pattern, I'm gonna show you how that's not going to work for you anymore. This is not going to go well for you if you don't get out of the pattern that we are living in right now because I am in suffering and I'm going to make your life suffer as well so that we can move out of this pattern. And so I look at God uh, and Pharaoh and God being like, knock, 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 time to change your heart. And Pharaoh's like, no. And God's like, okay, I'll give you five chances. After those five chances, I'm going to show you what happens when you continue to oppress people. I'm going to show you what happens when you continue to have these ruinous economic policies that are destroying lives. I'm going to show you what happens when you look at a child of God in the face and decide that they're not a worthy human. I'm going to show you what happens when you mess with God. And all of a sudden, God is like Super Smash Brother 12 games in a row, like plague, 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 plague. Like it's going down. And Pharaoh, you're going to have to just see what type of world you are creating. God is showing Pharaoh the natural consequences of his actions. Pharaoh, oh no, the... Uh, the Nile is filled with blood. You already filled the Nile with blood when you decided to kill children in it. Oh no, uh, your livestock are dying. You care about your livestock more than the people in your country. Like there is a political read to each of these. And God is saying like, if you continue these actions, I'm going to show you what type of uh, hellscape Egypt will be. And that's what God was helping Pharaoh do. God helps us to connect the dots of how our actions are creating the world that we want to live in or not want to live in. God helps us connect the dots, how the empire lives in us and how we have to resist it. And if you are noticing within your life that there is a certain amount of repetition, you might not be picking up what God is trying to teach you. If you are noticing that you continue to be in self-destructive cycles, then maybe God is trying to say, like, I'm going to show you the natural consequences of these destructive cycles so that you have the energy to break the cycle. God's grace is a grace that lets us break the cycle. And when we keep finding ourselves in the same spot, our task as people of faith is to go to God and say like, God, I believe that you're offering me a, a way out of this. I believe that there is a way to break this cycle, but I need your grace to be able to do it. I need grace, God, to be able to uh, find a new path, even regardless of whether or not I deserve it, because I'm your child and I need a new way. This is what like God, God uh, offers to us. And I think that uh, there are folks in this room who benefit from hearing like, maybe God is telling you to leave your toxic job. 
Maybe God is telling you to start uh, putting together uh, a healthcare team that can support you in the way that your body and your mental health requires. Maybe God is asking you to say no to a certain opportunity so that you can practice a powerful yes for a certain opportunity. Maybe God is trying to get you out of just the pattern of destruction that you keep putting yourself in. And that's grace. The subversive message of Exodus is that sometimes plagues can be grace because they get us out of the destruction that we are dooming ourselves for. Sometimes we need some uh, persistence from God to finally have the energy and freedom to be able to leave and to try a new thing. Sometimes we need the plagues to get out. Amen.